The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, And go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Amen. Next, uh, the next sermon series we do is going to be one verse. We're just going <laughs> to read that and then sit. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, if you're new, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Tim. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Citizens. We had a great uh, weekend together in the mountains uh, for our first ever churchwide uh, family vacation. Uh, had a ton of fun for those of you guys that got to go. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to go, we missed you. Uh, you were missed. If you didn't get a chance to go because you're not yet a member, I uh, would, would encourage you to take that next step. We're going to have some membership classes coming up in January. We'd love for you to hop in with us and to say I'm all in as a part of this church. Our covenant membership is something that we value and, and take seriously and lift up and get excited about uh, as a church. Uh, Ruth chapter 2. If you got a Bible, uh, just like last week, it's not really going to be on the screen that much, and so it'd be helpful for you uh, to follow along. If you are in uh, a hard copy of the Bible, it is pretty early on in the text. If you also have a bulletin, it's there uh, on the back of the front cover. We're going to be walking through Ruth 2 together. Super excited. I've been loving this story, just getting to to dive into it. Hopefully, uh, you got a chance to check out the midweek podcast that we do, where we took a deeper dive into uh, Orpa and all that fun stuff. Fun fact that I found out this week, this is a side note to the sermon and then I'll pray and we'll get started. Uh, I was told that Oprah was actually named after Orpah and they misspelled her name on her birth certificate. Uh, And so she is now Oprah. And that's the fun facts you miss if you don't listen to the midweek podcast. Let's pray. Uh, And then we'll dive into Ruth chapter two and God's word together. Amen. Amen. God, thank you for who you are. God, we are are grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for, for Jesus on the cross. God, would you exalt yourself in our lives? God, would you exalt yourself in our hearts? God, would you exalt yourself in our homes? God, would you exalt yourself in all of the ways that you are supposed to be exalted? We want to lift you up. We want to make much of you, Lord. God, help us as we look at your word. God, give us energy, give us clarity, give us insight. God, would you you send your spirit to work and to move in all the ways that we need? Conviction, encouragement, comfort, whatever it may be, Lord. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last month, a group of us took a trip to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, if you weren't aware, Citizens Church is a part of a larger group or network of about 100 churches spread out across the U.S. Uh, called the Harbor Network. And we partner with the Harbor Network to plant more churches across the country. And every fall, Harbor Network throws a conference for staff and pastors and leaders within the network to get together and be encouraged and trained and equipped. And so we took a group up there uh, in October. And one of the mornings while we were at the conference, I got to have lunch with one of my good friends, Josh. Josh and I have known each other uh, for the better part of a decade. He was actually uh, Lindsay and I's first boss in ministry. So when I was 22 years old, uh, Josh took a shot on Lindsay and I. He said, come on, work with college students. He gave us a tiny little sliver of ministry where we got to fail and try and fail again and try again. And he was around during kind of the early stages of my call to church planting and, and to pastoring. And so I remember being 22 years old, and having conversations with Josh where I'd be like, hey man, I want to go plant a church. I want to plant a church. Let's plant a church. And graciously, he would constantly say, that's awesome. Be patient. That's awesome. Be patient. That's awesome. Be patient. But he was around for the early days of that call and he knew uh, what I felt like the Lord was leading me into. And so we were having breakfast and we were catching up. And I shared this last week, but the past couple of months have just kind of been a difficult, uh, hard, struggling season for me. And so, uh, to be honest, I was just kind of complaining (laughs) to Josh uh, about my life and about some things I was frustrated with. And he uh, listened very graciously. And then near the end of that breakfast, he stopped. And he gave me that look that you give someone when you're about to say something uh, really helpful, but also like a little bit hurtful. You know what I mean? 
and he just kind of paused, and he, and he put down his fork, and he said, hey, Tim, I, I just got to encourage you with this. He said, if, if 22-year-old you saw today's you and the life that you have, he would be incredibly excited. And I don't want you to miss the good because of the little bit that you're frustrated with. I don't want you to miss the kindness of the Lord. I don't want you to be able to not receive well the goodness and the blessings that the Lord has given you in every way that he has given them to you. And I think if you had a conversation with 22-year-old you and you told him all of your frustrations, he would probably tell you to get over it, to accept the hand and kindness of the Lord in your life. Josh was right. I'd been missing. I had been not, as we're going to talk about tonight, prospering well. Because what we talked about uh, throughout this whole series as we kind of work through the book of Ruth is we're asking ourselves this question, will we trust God? We're examining the faithfulness of God through the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, asking, will we trust him? And last week we talked about the fact that, or asked the question, rather, will we trust God when we suffer? But church, it's one thing to trust God when you suffer. It's one thing to trust God when life doesn't go as planned. It's one thing to trust God when everything isn't going how you want, but it's a whole other thing to learn to trust God when you prosper. So tonight we're asking that question. Will we trust God when we prosper? Will we trust God when he is kind to us? Will we trust God when he gives us good gifts? Will we trust God in the midst of the blessing? What do we do in those moments? What do we do in the moments when God is kind and gracious and gives us exactly what it is that we ask for? Do we forget about him? Do we turn our backs on him? Do we go it alone? Do we turn inward? Do we focus more on keeping and enjoying what he's given us rather than turning outward and being generous and looking to bless? Do we grow entitled? Do we grow bitter what we still lack? Will we trust God when we prosper. That's the question for us in Ruth chapter 2. I want to be, uh, real quick, I want to give some clarity. When I say prosper tonight, I don't just mean financial prosperity. All right? I don't just mean like, hey, when God gives you a hundred bucks, are you going to like be excited about that? That's not the holistic picture of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about any kind of blessing that God in his kindness gives us. I'm talking about spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1. I'm talking about material blessings, sure. I'm talking about tangible blessings, family, friendships, his kindness to us in all aspects of life. Will we trust God in the prospering. Ruth chapter 2, uh, to kind of catch us back up to speed if you missed last week or if you've forgotten over the past of the course, the course of the past six days. In Ruth chapter 1, we were introduced to a family of a guy named Elimelech. And there was a famine in their hometown of Bethlehem. And so to leave the famine, they went to the country of Moab. They disobeyed, they sinned, they rebelled against God. And Elimelech and Naomi and their two daughters traveled and then settled in the land of Moab for 10 years. During, during those 10 years, their two sons married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then over the course of those 10 years, Elimelech and his two sons died. So Naomi went back to Bethlehem, and she was able to, on the road to Bethlehem, persuade Orpah to turn around, to not come with her, to go back, to go back to her homeland. But Ruth said, no, I'm sticking it with you. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And so we ended chapter 1 in verse 22, where it says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And we said that's a picture that God has not forgotten Naomi and Ruth in the midst of their suffering, that he is still present, that he is still faithful, that he is still kind. That's where chapter 2 picks up. So what I want to do, just like we did last week, is I want to walk through Ruth chapter 2 with us, try to help us understand what's going on in the story. 
and then I'll apply it into our lives uh, when we get done. Quick word of warning, I'm very tired, so I'm just trying not to say anything wrong. Ruth chapter 2. Here we go. I love this story. It's such a good story. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. All right, so Boaz has not officially entered the story yet, right? He's not actually stepped onto the scene or the setting of the narrative, but already the author in Ruth 2.1 is saying, hey, keep your eyes on this guy. Keep your eyes on Boaz. He's going to be important to the rest of the story. And then we're told two really important things about Boaz. Number one is we're told that he's a worthy man. Now there's a dual meaning in that. The first is that he's a wealthy man. He's prosperous, he has flourished, he he has lots of land, he's important, he's a man of status, but also when the Bible says that he's worthy, it means that he's godly, that he's following after the Lord, that he's worshiping and serving Yahweh. We're also told that Boaz is from the clan of Elimelech. So he's family, he's kin, if we were from Alabama, he's kin in some way, shape, or form with the family of of Elimelech, with Naomi and Ruth, and that's going to come into play in a minute. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And we'll pause right there. So gleaning is a practice in the Old Testament that was established by God, Leviticus 19, where he gives the Mosaic law to his people. So when God brought his people out of Egypt, established them as his people, he gave them laws, rules of how they should function in a society. And one of those rules was the rule of, or the law of gleaning. And gleaning meant that if you owned a field, you were supposed to not harvest the entire thing. You were supposed to take as all the way up until the edge, and then you're supposed to leave the edge for those in your town that did not have fields of their own. And they would come behind you, and they would glean, or they would reap from the harvest and be able to provide for themselves and their families. It was kind of a welfare-to-work type program. And so if you had a field, you would leave the edges, people would come behind you and glean, and this was a way that God provided for the foreigner, for the immigrant, for those who didn't own land, for those who were poor. It was God's system of caring for all in society, especially the least of these, which gives evidence of his heart. Now, we show up, right? They're back in Bethlehem, and Ruth doesn't wait for directions from Naomi. She says to Naomi, hey, I'm going to the field. I'm going to go glean. I committed myself to you. I said, I'm in on this with you. I'm going to go take care of us and get some food. Now, this is an incredibly faithful step by Ruth because this is very, very dangerous. For her to be out in the field, especially as a foreign woman, woman, was for her to open herself up to all kinds of trouble and danger and potential hardships. She could have been taken advantage of. She could have been hurt, abused, all of that. And yet she says, I've committed myself to Naomi and to God. And so I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to go glean. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was part of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. All right, pause there. If you're the type of person who likes to underline in your Bible, underline that phrase, and by chance. She says she, or rather, she happened. She happened to come. The the literal translation there is is as chance would chanced, or as we would say uh, today in 2021, as luck would have it. It's kind of this beautiful moment in Ruth chapter 2 where the author's kind of winking at us as readers, right? So in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, he says, keep your eyes on Boaz. And then here in verses 3 and 4, he says, as luck would have it, Ruth happened to go to a field that belonged to Boaz, and behold, Boaz showed up. 
wink, wink, which we as the readers should know, hey, this is not luck. This is not chance. The author's trying to say, hey, this is God. God is doing something. There's so many fields that Ruth could have gone to, and yet she goes to the field of Boaz. There's so many other times that Boaz could have gone out to the field, and yet he goes to the field at this time. God is orchestrating something. He's present. He's faithful. He's working. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Verse 6, And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So if this was a love story, which we said it's not as much as we want to say it is, this would be that kind of moment where Boaz is like, hey, takes notice of Ruth. The the picture in my mind that I keep thinking of when it comes to verse 6 is that scene in Hamilton where Hamilton and Aaron Burr at the beginning of the summer's ball or whatever are like, hey, hey, hey. Eliza, I ain't got a dollar to Um, Anyway, he says, hey, who's, who's this? Who's this lady? He takes notice of Ruth and is like, this is different. Like, I know these reapers. Who's this woman? And he asked his servant. And his servant says, she's the Moabite. She came back with Naomi. Verse 7. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth is working extremely hard. She says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in here. I'm going to care for Naomi. I'm going to provide. She's working really hard, just a short rest, but she keeps going. Verse 8, And Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz immediately shows us his character, that he is a worthy man. He's overwhelmingly generous to Ruth. So as a follower of God, he would have known, okay, the Levitical law, Leviticus 19, says that she has to be able to glean. I have to let her have some of my harvest. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, you know what, like, please take a little bit, but like, leave a lot. He says, no, he actually goes out of his way to extend more generosity to Ruth in two specific ways. The first is that he says, hey, I've told my men to protect you. You're safe in my field. You're safe here with me. Stay in my field. Take what you need. But the second thing is he says, hey, when you go to the vessels, when you go to the wells, they're going to draw water for you, which is a completely countercultural practice. In those days, what was supposed to happen is that the Jewish men were supposed to drink the water that foreign women drew for them. And Boaz says, no, it's going to be reverse. They're going to draw water for you. He's already starting to show his heart of generosity. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to take care of your needs. Verse 10, Ruth replies, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now notice she's saying, remember her prayer in chapter two, verse two, she said, Naomi, I'm going to go glean until I find favor in someone's sight. And then she says here in verse 10, why have I found favor in your sight? Ruth is acknowledging my prayer has been answered. Boaz is showing up. He's providing. The Lord is providing for us. Verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, this is important. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, I'm blessing you in this way because it's not mine. You have sought the Lord. 
You have gone to the Lord for protection. Remember, Ruth's commitment to Naomi was primarily a commitment to God, right? In chapter 1, when she says, Naomi, your people are my people, primarily that was her commitment to God. Your God is my God. She was pledging herself in total devotion. God's got to show up because there's no future for me in Bethlehem if he doesn't. And Boaz says, hey, I know that you've committed yourself to entrusting yourself to the Lord. And so I'm just providing for you as a means by which the Lord is providing for you. That's it. I'm just a conduit for God's grace to you. I'm just a vessel. I'm, I'm showing up. I'm giving you my harvest, sure, but it's really God providing for you through me. That's why I'm doing this. Verse 13, and she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She says, who am I that you would welcome me like a servant? And it's not a derogatory term or a negative thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. She says, I'm a foreigner and you're welcoming me in. You're including me into the family. You're including me as a part of the people. Verse 14, Boaz's generosity continues. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So he's feeding her. He says, come eat at my table. This is totally countercultural to the time. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So he's saying, hey, be a little less careful, and leave a little extra for her. Just whenever you're doing your harvesting thing, whenever you're doing your reaping thing, just like, you know, make sure there's a little bit extra that you leave so that Ruth is provided for. Verse 17, we'll pause here after this. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, 30 pounds. Ruth goes to Bethlehem with nothing but her and Naomi. She goes to the field of Boaz, and she returns home that night with 30 pounds of grain. The Lord has been abundantly kind to her through Boaz. That's where we're at so far in chapter 2. Let me try to make all of this make sense for our lives, <laughs> all right? All right, so gleaning, reaping, like what is happening? Like, am I supposed to like leave some extra of my field? Like what, what do we do with Ruth chapter 2? Remember, we're asking the question, will we trust God when we prosper? All right, that's the big question we're asking from Ruth chapter 2 and of us. Will we trust God when we prosper? And here's what's available to us in Ruth chapter 2. Two beautiful examples of faithful followers of God entrusting themselves to God when he blesses them. Two beautiful examples. Let me show you these one at a time. First, let's talk about Boaz. Boaz, in response to God's kindness, is marked by overwhelming generosity. Overwhelming generosity. Boaz entrusts himself to the Lord. He trusts God when he prospers by being marked by overwhelming generosity. Time and time again in this passage, he blesses the reapers which is weird for him to address his workers in his field. He promises protection for Ruth. He invites her to drink the water men will draw for her. He invites her to dine at his table. He gives her way more grain than she could possibly need and says, hey, for the rest of the harvest, you come to my field. I'm going to take care of you. It's just generosity after generosity after generosity. Now, here's what I want you to do. Put yourself in Boaz's shoes for a moment. Just like, that's really difficult. I don't have a field. Just put yourself in Boaz's shoes for a moment. You've been staring at empty barren fields for 10 years. Right, this famine has been going on for 10 years. How many times do you think Boaz goes to his field to pray that God would send a harvest? How many times do you think for 10 years Boaz goes to his field and goes, Lord, will you send some rain? Will you please make a single 
stock, is that what it's called? A single thing of, of wheat go up from the ground. Lord, will you do something for 10 years during this famine? And God has finally brought back a harvest to the land of Bethlehem. And so he knows, okay, I got to leave some for the reapers. I'm required to do that by law. But surely in the back of his mind, like, I hope they don't take too much. Like, I hope they're not too aggressive. I hope they, like, we just get as much as we can. And we leave, like, the bare minimum of amount because we don't know when a famine's going to come again. Right? We don't know what, if we're going to have a harvest next year. We know we have a harvest now. And so I got to tell my guys, we got to store some up. We got to be careful. We got to be good stewards. We don't know if there's going to be grain next year. Now, on top of that, there's this Moabite woman. She's not even a part of your people. Even worse, she's not just not Jewish. She's a Moabite. She's a part of the enemy of God's people. And then on top of that, you know her story. She's from the family of Elimelech. Remember that guy that was a part of your clan that left town? That abandoned God and his people? that jumped ship when it got hard in Bethlehem, that when the famine came, he was like, no, we're out, we're going to Moab. So what you have right in front of you is a tangible reminder, not only of the last 10 years of famine, but also the sin of your family. Now she wants some of your grain? How would you respond? How would you react to this person who largely is in the situation they're in because of their own sin and their own stuff and their own decisions and their own choices, and now they want some of what the Lord has given you? How do we respond? But notice what Boaz doesn't do. Boaz doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get stingy. He doesn't start hoarding. Instead, he's exceedingly generous to Ruth. Why? Verse 12. Verse 12 is the key of this passage. This is what he says. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's what Boaz knows. Boaz is generous because he knows it all belongs to God anyways. Boaz is generous because he knows this harvest is the Lord's. And I know that because for 10 years I've been doing all the normal farming practices and nothing has grown. So I know it's the Lord's. And he says, no, Ruth, you've hidden yourself under the wings of the Almighty. You've entrusted yourself to God. And so this isn't me giving you, taking care of you, providing for you, being generous to you. This is the Lord being generous to you through me. Just a conduit. See, at the core of Boaz's generosity is his view of God. That's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to his view of God. Because if he trusts God, he doesn't have to hoard out of self-protection. If he trusts God, he doesn't have to be the owner. If he trusts God as the giver of all good things, then he knows this isn't mine anyways. It's the Lord's. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. I can be generous with what God has given me, because here's the deal, church. Being generous requires you having a right view of God and a right view of yourself. If you want a right view of what he has given you, and again, I'm not just talking about financially. Don't, don't put this into that little filter. I'm talking about in all the ways that God has been kind to you. If you want to view those things rightly, you have to have a right view of God and a right view of yourself. Harper and I, uh, Harper's my 19-month-old little girl, uh, we have an ongoing battle right now for the television in our home. So Harper, uh, yes, we will let our toddler watch TV. You can talk about that later. Um, Harper is in love right now. We actually let her watch it on the iPad back from Black Mountain. That's fine. Uh, Harper's in love right now with what she calls booze coos, which is toddler speak for blues clues. And if you are a parent or if you remember anything about your childhood, blues clues is annoying. Okay? It just is. And uh, for some reason, the Lord has, has been kind to me and blessed me with the incredible ability to have songs get stuck in my head very, very easily. And Blue's Clues is all songs. And so if you want me to sing you the email song later, I will sing you the email song later. I got an email. Uh, but she loves it. And so what happens is 
is that on Saturday afternoons, I want to watch something that is not Blue's Clues. I want to watch something in the home that I pay the mortgage on, on the television that I purchased, that can turn on because of the electricity bill that I pay for. And I want to sit on the couch that I also bought, and I want to eat the snacks that, guess what, I also bought. So what happens is on Saturday afternoon, I sit down on the couch that I bought in the house that I pay for, but the electricity bill that I pay for, and I turn on the TV, and in comes my wonderful, beautiful toddler yelling at the top of her lungs, Booze Goose! Booze Goose! Booze Goose! She grabs her little, like, monkey chair, and she runs over, and she puts it right in front of the love seat. If you guys have been to our house, you know, our playroom, the little love seat. She lounges on it, and she grabs her little baby doll, and she grabs her blanket, and she's like, Booze Goose! And I turn on the Roku, and I go right past Paramount Plus to the ESPN app because I want to watch college football again in the house that I pay for, on the TV that I paid for. And immediately she sees the ESPN app pull up, and it's like, boom, crocodile tears. She starts crying, I mean, like ugly crying. And she's looking at me, like looking back because I'm sitting behind her on the thing. She's like, booze, booze! Like, booze! Here's the deal. Harper cannot receive the good because she has a wrong view of the gift. She has a wrong view of the gift giver because she doesn't realize my dad is the gift giver. My dad is the owner. My dad is the one who bought the television and pays for the house and pays for the electricity. She's not able to receive the good because she doesn't view me rightly. She doesn't view herself rightly. She does not view the things that we try to give her rightly. So what happens is in our lives, God has given us good things. He's cared for us. He's provided for us. And yet we look at him and we go, booze, booze. God's like, yeah, but like, you know that chair that you're sitting in that I bought you? You know that apple that you're eating that I bought you? You know the Snickers bar that I probably shouldn't have given you, but I gave you that you ate? Which can God only gives us good gifts. You know, we look at God and we say, yeah, God, like, I know you gave me that. Like, I know you gave me that, and they gave me that, but, like, where's my booze goose? Here's the deal, church. We cannot prosper well if we don't have a right view of God and a right view of ourselves. If we think that we are the owners, if we think that we are the authors, if we think that we are the creators, if we think that we are the givers, if we think we are the entitled recipients, we will not be generous. We won't. And this plays out into all areas of our life. All areas of our life. Let me give you a few, right? So if you think that you are the owner of your home or apartment, even though you're like, I literally am. Yes, legally you are. But if you think that in God's kingdom, you are the owner of your home or apartment, not a manager of God's gifts, then that home becomes a place that exists to serve you. Becomes a place that's for your comfort and your ease and your security and your rest. But if it's a gift from God, it becomes a means of generosity for the advancement of his kingdom through hospitality. I'll give you a few more. If you think your job is about you, if you think the reason you have your job is because you did it, because you were the one who got the interview, you were the one who did the resume, you were the one who got the experience, you were the one who crushed it, and you don't see it as a gift from God, which it is, then it's just like, it's just a means to an end. Just a chance to get a paycheck. Clock in, clock out. Don't invest in my coworkers. Don't do that good of a job. Or it becomes all-consuming idol and everything. 
But if it's a gift from God, if our work, our vocation, whatever we do is a gift from God, then we see it as a means by which we glorify him through doing good work. If you are the proverbial owner of your kids, they belong primarily to you. That you will squeeze them to prove your worth as a parent. You will do whatever it takes to live out your dreams through them and for them, and you'll revolve your entire existence around them and their wants. But if your kids are a gift from God and arrows given to be released into the world, then that frees you up as a parent to shepherd them well, to prioritize their spiritual growth over their temporary happiness, to push them towards Jesus. Your bank account belongs solely to you. Your finances are yours and yours alone. You start spending it or saving it or investing it like it is simply a tool to serve you and your power and your success and your comfort and your control. And everything's going to revolve around you getting more of it and keeping more of it. But if your finances and your money, whether you have a lot of it or a little bit of it, because you don't need a lot to be greedy, then you're freed up to use your money as a tool to glorify God and bless those around you. Let me give you one more. If you think church is all about you, not God's people gathered for his glory, then you're going to bail when it stops meeting your wants or preferences or desires or when it starts to get difficult. But if it's about the Lord and making much of Jesus, you'll use your time, talents, and treasures to contribute to the kingdom mission. Our generosity banks on us viewing God rightly and viewing ourselves rightly. And so the question is, will we trust that God is who he says he is? Will we trust that he actually owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Will we trust that he is the giver and we are the recipient? Boaz is able to be generous and trust God when he prospers because he knows God is the giver. I'm just the conduit of grace into the life of Ruth. That's Boaz. Let's talk about Ruth. So if Boaz is trusting of the Lord and his prosperity is generosity, then Ruth's trust is displayed in her humility. Ruth is marked by humility and gratitude. Boaz comes to her, welcomes her, blesses her, cares for her, all as a physical outpouring of the grace and goodness of God. And this is her response. It's beautiful, verses 10 and 13. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, verse 13. My Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Essentially, Ruth is saying, why me? Why am I receiving this grace? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve you caring for me this way. She's humble and grateful. I can't believe this is happening. Notice what Ruth doesn't say. Ruth doesn't say, about time, Lord. I committed myself to you. I said to Naomi on the road, you're God, my God. Like, where you been? That's what also she doesn't say. She doesn't say, of course, of course you're providing for me, God. Of course I deserve this. I did all of these things in the past. Of course you would bless me this way. This checks out. This makes sense. Yep, good job. I did my thing. Good job doing your thing, Jesus. Listen, I'm tempted to pull this type of card all the time with God. This bartering system that I sacrificed for you. God, I moved cities for you. I helped plant a church for you. I pray. I read my Bible. I give to the church. I care about other believers. I try to be a good husband. I try to be a good father. I try to be a good friend. God, when are you going to uphold your end of the bargain? Listen, we all do this, don't we? Like we all bargain and barter with God, right? Now here's the deal. We have different things in the vending machine that we want to pop out, right? We all put in our coins. Put in the coin. God, I prayed today. Where's the blessing? God, I cared for that, 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 that Christian who was going through some trouble. Like, where's, where's my money? 
God, I, I went to church even when I didn't want to, even though I was tired. God, like, why are my kids still disobedient? God, like, I, I like, cared for my spouse. I was patient with them. I forgave even when I yeah, didn't, really didn't want to. Like, why is my job hard? God, like, I, I, I did all the, th- I'm doing the things, right? Like, I got the right theology down. I'm, like, doing all the spiritual practices. I'm, like, going to church. I'm, like, invested. I, like, went on this family vacation thing. It was very tiring. I'm an introvert. It was tiring. Lord, like, why? We all have the vending machine. We have different things we've stocked it with. We all have the vending machine. We've all played this bartering game with God. We're all tempted to play the bargaining. God, I did this. Oh, yeah. And here's the evidence. When we suffer, we start thinking, do I really deserve this, God? When we prosper, we think, yeah, of course. Of course. I did the thing. I did X, Y, and Z. Thanks for doing your part. We barter. Instead, the invitation for us is to receive with humility. Because what happens is if we play the bartering game with God is that it leads to dissatisfaction and discontentment. Right, we start saying, well, yeah, God, like, I know you provided for me, but, like, not in the way I wanted. Like, I know you cared for me, but, like, it's just not exactly right. Like, I know, God, like, you gave me that apartment, but, like, it's just a little small. Or, like, God, I know, like, you gave me that spouse, but, like, they're just a little annoying. Or, like, God, I know you gave me this church, but, like, it's just a little bit weird. Or, yeah, God, I know you did this, but it's just, or whatever it may be. Or, like, I know you gave me that, but, like, it's just not, like, what that guy has. It's a little bit like Ruth in the field, and Boaz is like, hey, take whatever you want, glean as much as you want, I'm here for you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to care for you, I'm inviting you to my table, and she's like, that's great, God, but like, I want as much as Boaz has. I want a field, and a husband, and a redeemer. No, she says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? That's what my friend Josh was trying to get me to see during our breakfast. God has given you much. You have much to be grateful for. Don't miss it because you're trying to play the I scratch his back so he scratches mine game. Don't miss it because you had other plans for yourself. Receive it with humility and gratitude for him. But in order to do that, the first step we must take is to view him rightly as the giver of all good things and ourselves rightly as deserving of nothing. There's an old country hymn. Uh, that Lindsay likes because her family's from Oklahoma. <sighs> and the title is, uh, it's, it's called Why Me, Lord? And if you hear that title, what's the first thing you think about? Why me, Lord? Why would I suffer, right? Like you, you immediately, and that just shows our bargaining system with God, right? That immediately we would hear a song, a Christian country hymn song called Why Me, Lord? And we would immediately think it's about suffering. Here's the first two lines. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known. Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth love from you or the kindness you've shown? And the answer in the gospel we know is nothing. Everything we have is a gift from God. When we were his enemies, when we were sinners, rebellious against him, undeserving of his kindness, his mercy, and his grace, he gave us everything in Christ Jesus. Everything we need for life and godliness. Will we trust God by being generous? Will we trust God by being humble and gracious? Let's, let's finish the story. Finish chapter two. I'm probably going long, sorry. Ruth goes back home. She's got 30 pounds. You can just kind of see her like carrying it. She carries 80 in the next chapter, so we know she's strong. Spoiler. Naomi's like, what happened? What, tell me about the day. And she's like, Boaz, this guy named Boaz, he's providing for us. It's awesome. Look at what Naomi says. 
Verse 20. Here's Naomi's response. Bitter returned to Bethlehem with nothing but this baggage of a daughter-in-law. God has treated me like his enemy, Naomi. Okay, that's Naomi, right? Remember? Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That who's there is not Boaz. That who's there is God. So read it again. May he be blessed by the Lord, for the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. One week ago, we were, his hand has gone out against me. One week ago, we were, I'm an enemy of God. One week ago, it was, I got nothing but this daughter-in-law who's baggage. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God is working. She continues, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. This glimmer of more to come. We're going to talk about that in the, in the next two weeks. Verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest to, to, to continue to glean for the rest of the season. Verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We're left again with a little glimmer of hope. But here's where I want to close this tonight. We'll get to that in the next two weeks. Here's where I want to close this tonight. Do you see the gospel of Jesus in Ruth chapter 2? Do you see the gospel of Jesus? Remember, this story is meant to point forward to a greater story. Do you see it? Do you see someone who has everything give and be generous out of their abundance? Do you see someone who has nothing receive everything they need in humility and gratitude? Do you see someone who is outside of the people of God, a foreigner, a stranger, an enemy, welcomed in by grace? This is a beautiful chapter of God's provision and his kindness and his mercy and his care for Ruth and Naomi, but it's a complete loss if we try to put ourselves in one for one. It's just a bad hermeneutic. That's a bad way to read the Bible to be like, all right, Lord, what this chapter means is that the next time you give me a hundred bucks, I'm going to be generous and grateful and humble. Got it. Check. Boom. Let's go to community group this week. Awesome. And in one sense, we're called to be like Boaz. We're called to receive the kindness of the Lord and be generous. And in one sense, we're called to be like Ruth. We're called to receive the kindness of the Lord in gratitude and humility. But there's a deeper beauty in this story. Because here's the deal, church. In the grand story of the gospel, we're not Boaz or Ruth. We're actually much more like Naomi. In the grand story of the gospel, we're Naomi. What, is, what does Naomi do in this chapter? Absolutely Nothing. Listen, uh, 100% of commentators agree. She's not old, too old to go out to, and glean in the harvest with Ruth. She sits at home. She sulks. She's depressed. She's sad. She has suffered much. She has also sinned much. She's separated from the Lord. Yet God provides for her. God looks at Naomi and he says, I see you in your brokenness. I see you in your suffering. I see you in your sin. I see you in your bitterness. I see you when you're beat up and beaten down. And I'm going to use the work of another to provide for your need. Isn't that the gospel? That when we do nothing except sit in our brokenness, that God says, I'm going to provide your greatest need through the work of another. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? That God saw us when we were his enemy. That he saw us when we were broken in our sin and suffering. That he saw us when we were enslaved in our shame and our guilt. And he said, I'm going to do the work of another, namely the work of my son, who's going to be perfect when you cannot, 
who's going to fulfill the law when you cannot, who's going to be obedient to me when you cannot, who's going to yet die the death that you and your sins deserved. He's going to do all the work. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to take your sin upon himself. He's going to die in your place. And yet three days later, he's going to get up from the grave, giving you his righteousness and life forever with me. And guess what? You do nothing. And yet you receive everything. So the beauty of Ruth chapter 2 as we read this story is that we go, yeah, there's a call for us to be like Boaz and to be generous, and there's a call for us to be like Ruth and receive in humility and, gra- and gratitude, but really we're all Naomi and we've done nothing and God has given us our greatest need in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. If you're in Christ, you have already prospered in the most necessary and beautiful way. And so everything you have that feels like a gift is all icing on the cake. I'm going to say that again because I don't think we got that. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have already prospered in the greatest and most necessary way. Namely, you have been forgiven of your sins and you have life forever in eternity with Jesus. So every other gift he gives you, your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, a church, a home, kids, a job, breath in your lungs, hobbies that you enjoy, booze on the television, everything else is icing on the cake. Is he has given you your greatest need. And so we can say like Naomi, the kindness of the Lord has not forgotten the living or the dead. So in those seasons, we don't want to receive wealth. In those seasons where we want to push back. In those seasons where we want to say, of course, God, I put my thing in the vending machine. Where is my blessing? In those seasons where we want to hoard and be stingy of what God has given us, we need to remember, no, God has provided our every need in Christ Jesus. And every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so we're stewards, not owners. We're managers, not owners. So we're generous, and we're humble, and we're grateful. And that's how we trust the Lord when we prosper. And every week when we gather, we remember what Jesus has done in our place. We remember his kindness to us. We remember his grace to us, that on the cross, he took our place, that he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our suffering, he took our guilt, he took our being an enemy of God, he became sin to give us his righteousness. And so we celebrate communion and we remember communion. We take a little wafer, which represents Jesus' body. We drink some juice, which represents his blood, and we remember the good news of the gospel, that Jesus took our place. We did nothing, and yet we received everything, He did everything to give us what was his. Inheritance, forgiveness, life forever with God in perfection. So we're going to celebrate that. If you're not a believer, we would actually actually ask you not to take communion, not because we don't like you or, or just want to ostracize you or anything weird like that, but because you'd be taking communion and saying that that is true for you, that Jesus has died and risen again for you, and that's just not true yet. And so we would ask you not to take communion, but rather to take Christ, to believe that your greatest need has not been met yet. That every blessing you have is just a, a taste and a foreshadowing of the greatest gift that God wants to give you, namely salvation through Jesus. And so we'd ask you to take Jesus. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to believe in the good news of the gospel when we're done. Uh, let's stand. We're going to respond like we always do. We're going to take communion. We're going to have some folks in the back. You can, y'all can stand. We have some folks in the back who would love to pray with you and for you. We're going to sing and worship. Let me pray for us, and then we'll do just that. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that you have in Christ taking care of our greatest need. That you have in Christ forgiven us, reconciled us, given us righteousness, called us not just forgiven, but holy and righteous. 
included, and sons and daughters, God. And so you have prospered us in the most necessary way, Lord. And so I pray that in light of the good news of the gospel, we would receive any additional thing you choose to give us in your providence and your sovereignty and your kindness as a gift from you, not to be hoarded or be stingy with or to be frustrated about when it's not perfect or exactly what we want or when we don't receive how we want, God, but would you create in us grateful and humble hearts, generous hearts, that view our homes as for you and not for us, that view our wallets as for you and not for us, that view our time as for you and not for us, our families as not for you, not for us, but for you. And I pray tonight as we looked at Ruth too, Lord, you know my heart, you know I'm tired. And so I pray for anything I said that doesn't make sense or isn't of you, that it would fall away and that your spirit would be true and that you would tell us what we need to know. We entrust your word to you, God. You promise that your word doesn't return void. Lord, so would you let anything I said that doesn't line up with your word fall away and anything I said that is helpful for conviction and comfort to ring in our ears and plant in our hearts. We love you. Thankful for you and Jesus. God, none of this is possible without you and your spirit. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need you. For all these things in Christ's name. Amen.